What if I told you that you were about to listen to another wrestling podcast? Are you ready? This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Join us as we take you through the ins and outs and everything you need to know in the world of professional wrestling. From NXT to Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Elite Wrestling, all the way to the main events of the WWE. Our thoughts, our perspective, and our predictions on the biggest topics and breaking news in the world of wrestling. If it's happening, we're talking about it. This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean McChesney and CJ Palmasano. All right, let's get to it. A very special edition of the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. I am joined by my good buddy, Joe Stanziali. Welcome back, Joe. How are you? That is right. I am back on basically where I belong. I mean, listen, I've been getting requests from my millions of fans around the world to come back on here. And well, you know what? I figured I'd make them happy. Well, it's been a high, high demand. I, I texted you and called you. You won't return <laughs> my emails or my DMs. You're just like, listen, I have my own shit to do. As much as I'd love to please all these fat, smelly marks, I need to take care of myself. But, but anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks, man, for coming back on. I uh, appreciate you being here. We're doing a very special episode. You know, we've, we've gone through an entire decade, believe it or not, in wrestling. And today, uh, Joe and I are going to be going who we think are the 10 best wrestlers of the decade. Uh, this is kind of like all across the board as far as tag teams, male wrestlers, female wrestlers, um, from all across the board, from all different companies, people who work in WWE, AEW, uh, uh, New Japan, uh, etc., and all that. Um, but before we get into our list, uh, Joe and I do have some honorable mentions we'd like to go through. Um, but I know, Joe, that we have, I think, at least three honorable mentions here. I guess talk about them very briefly. I know we have The Miz. Uh, yeah, he single-handedly made the Intercontinental Championship uh, relevant. So, I mean, he has to have credit for that. Especially, you know, seeing him with the Mohawk and kind of being acting all stupid. To, for him to be where he is today, it's kind of remarkable. It really is because The Miz was a guy that really nobody liked at all. So, to his credit, you have to give him a credit for being a really good heel. But at the same time, even he was getting heat of like, you know... We don't like, like, not only do we like, we're not booing you because we love to hate you, we're booing you because we legitimately hate you and we just think you you suck, uh, for lack of better terms. But it wasn't until about, like, you know, 2016-ish when he kind of, like, was having those multiple Intercontinental title reigns where he was really bringing prominence back to the title and he was having a lot of great matches. 
I know a match that fell under the radar was when I saw something that Sami Zayn actually tweeted, a quote tweeted a fan where it was a match between him, Kevin Owens, The Miz, and Cesaro in a fatal four-way for the IC title back in 2016 at Extreme Rules pay-per-view. And Sean and I were there for that show, and that was one hell of a match. Definitely one that slid under the radar for uh, The Miz. Uh, I, know another... I don't think I've seen that one. That sounds incredible, though. That's that's uh, the the pay per view when Rollins uh, Rollins came back from his knee injury when it was Roman was the champ at the time and he, he was shooting with AJ. That was that pay per view. Ah uh, yes yes okay okay. It's a really good. You ever get a chance to watch it back? It's really fun. Um, other I know someone else we had in our list. Now don't hate us, but Brock Lesnar and again he's an honorable mention. He didn't actually make our list. Uh, if it, I was close to putting him on my list though, not for nothing because he does really fill the role that he needs to be he's he's basically unstoppable triple h back when he was you know in evolution was winning the world heavyweight championship over and over again he's the guy you wanted to be to propel your career that is true and um granted it may be tiresome that brock holds the title seemingly always at this point but at this point with brock the title it's more more of like you know i'm not mad about it i'm just like okay it's just he's just there he's the champion it's just it's normal at this point but when brock does get into the ring with a guy like aj styles or cm punk finn balor daniel bryan we've seen he puts on amazing matches you know if he likes who he's working with then he's going to give give you his all and he's going to you know sell for you and honestly i think he's hindered by his contract i mean the fact that he's part-timer, it, it makes fans hate him more because he's not there. But I feel like if he actually had a full-time contract and he was doing what he was doing just every week, I don't think people would have a problem with him at all. I don't think it would, but also at the same time, yes, he, being a part-time for him may suck from the hardcore fans' perspective. But at the same time, another big problem with wrestlers today in the WWE, they seem like oversaturated and used too much and their mystique goes away about them so to Lesnar's credit when he does show up he does feel special because he's not there all the time yeah and he has weird teeth <laughs> yes and he also wears uh, Duluth underwear I don't need to know that thank you I mean I was I saw <laughs> from uh, and I just got a phone call in the middle of all this um so unprofessional. Yeah, I know. So unprofessional. <laughs> thanks. thanks. Um, I just happened to see that in a video when I was I was uh, watching Cultaholics, one of their videos, and he happened to be wearing that. Anyway, that's not the point now. Um, well, so I don't need to see no videos about uh, Brock Lesnar's underwear. I don't know. I don't no, want to know what no, videos no, no, you're no, watching no. there. <laughs> Cultaholic. Okay, okay. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, so another guy, uh, a few other people we have on this list, I guess go briefly over them, not to uh, go over them too much, but um, I also have uh, John Cena. John Cena, even though for a big portion of this decade we hated him and we just wanted him to go away, at some point toward the middle part of this decade, he was putting on some really great matches with the likes of Kevin Owens, uh, Seth Rollins, uh, I believe I mean, Daniel Bryan, he, uh, CM Punk. He was putting on really good matches and it wasn't until a certain point where we realized oh Cena's actually good it's just it's just been too much of him that's the problem I don't think it was too much of him it was just that he was uh, again when, when you're the big guy in WWE you were told to do the same two or three moves that you always do to make the kids go crazy when you do them so when when he had a bit of slack and what they finally let him loose he was able to just be free and do what he wanted to do 
and yeah, like having you didn't need at a certain point. I think he realized he didn't need to be at the top of the card all the time. You can for sure use him as a guy who is a big name draw. And again, it goes to show when he when you put him in the ring with these younger guys and just uh, he really uh, again he had really great matches like like the John Cena U.S. Open Challenge. Was one of my favorite, oh, was, was one of my favorite things to watch on Raw every week. I looked forward to who he was going to face and who he was going to have a match with. Like some of his best matches were with like when he had matched with Sami Zayn, his series of matches with Kevin Owens. Um, I believe Ambrose answered the call after the night after WrestleMania. That was a really good match too. So he, he and like Miz with the with the Intercontinental Title, he made the U.S. Title feel important again. Yeah, the difference is he's a huge megastar. I mean, yeah, the U.S. title kind of fell off now, but you know, even still, when he was doing it, no one would have ever thought. Like, would you? When I, if I talked to you in 2010 and said, you know what, John Cena is going to be the U.S. champion again, and he's never, and he's not going to touch the uh, any major championships, would you believe me? Probably not, honestly. Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> but that's what you know, having big stars holding smaller championships can do, and they really need to do more of that. Yeah, I think so too. And I like when if you want to elevate a mid card title, just put a guy like John Cena or even Randy Orton with that championship. Uh, a few other guys we had on here. I had um, Adam Cole, Pete Dunne, uh, Charlotte Flair, uh, Cody Rhodes, and Will Ospreay. Wow. Yeah, I know it's a lot of honorable mentions, but I do feel like you need to. They need to get the credit where credit is due. I'm surprised that some of them aren't on the actual list. I know it's. I was just telling this to you off mic that I felt gutted that I didn't want to that I replaced Osprey with somebody else, and I'll probably get like ostracized for by the five people who actually listen to this. <laughs> um, because again, Will Osprey is a guy who's been on a whole another level this year with the amount of matches he had. Like you, th- you thought Kenny Omega broke Melcher's star ratings. I, I think. I think Osprey did that like ten times this year, with the amount of amazing matches he's had in New Japan, um, and he can you can for sure argue him to be the best wrestler in the world today. But the guy who I kind of put in Osprey's place for a longevity standpoint for the past four years or so, I feel like on big stages have been having amazing matches, uh, so that's why I kind of put him in there over Will Osprey, but. Yeah, we can probably get to that stuff now. I want to know who it is now. You got me on the edge of my seat, CJ. Okay then, Joe. Uh, but that person. <laughs> but I'm gonna start from the bottom to the top. That person it will come after this person I'm about to mention. At number ten, I have Becky Lynch. Oh, the man, the man. Don't be cursing like you did last time. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Come on now. Not a second. I'm time. an angel. Not, even second, not, not a, a second, second time. time. Of course not. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, um, I have Becky Lynch at ten because. Just within the past few years, she has blown up. Like her meteoric rise to the top, it can't. Like people have always loved Becky Lynch. There's always been something about her that the fans love. The fans want to cheer her for. But for a long time, she was never really getting the support of the machine of the WWE for whatever reason. Uh, sure, she was the first SmackDown Women's Champion, but nobody remembers that. It wasn't until she quote-unquote turned heel against Charlotte on Charlotte at SummerSlam when really that's not what they wanted. In fact, when I was watching NXT earlier this uh, last week, they were playing her 24 documentary on USA, and in the documentary they made it seem like, 
oh yeah, like the fans were behind Becky and that she was fed up and the fans were with her. I'm like, no, you tried to turn her heel. You tried to turn her heel and turn Charlotte babyface. Now, granted to their point, it's a good thing that they decided to swap the roles because people were tired of seeing Charlotte in the title picture. Becky, In the storyline, Becky earned her shot against Carmella for the SmackDown Women's Championship. From then up until this past year at WrestleMania, she has been the most popular thing in uh, the WWE at this point in time. And she's the first woman to win the championship at Mania, hold two title belts at the end of WrestleMania. So she's made history made waves, and she's a top merch seller. And she's one of the few people that WWE actually listened to the fans and did right. Because how many times do you hear people that have that similar story but don't actually get the push that she got? Guys like Rusev, guys like, uh, uh, oh my god, who am I thinking of? Oh no! Is it a guy or a girl? It's a guy. There was another person who was really big, and um, they were big for a little while. The Strowman? It might have been. I mean, I he... so. either way, but there's there are a lot of people that are like that, and they don't get the push that Becky Lynch got. So I mean, the fact that she even got it was credit to her. But I mean, credit to WWE to actually for actually listening to the fans, and that's what happens. She becomes you know the most popular thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I I say she's the most popular wrestler in the entire company, and I think the most popular wrestler in the world at this time. Um, as far as I just hope I never see her swinging out of the chair. <laughs> We're not getting into the TLC match of how that of how that was. Oh, please don't. <laughs> All I have to say is like she's also she's a pure professional because she was I believe she was the first one to notice that something was wrong with Kyrie Sane in that match. There was a video clip that that got out on YouTube um, where she you can actually see her rolling Kyrie Sane under the ring so she doesn't take any more damage as she did. Like because at one point Charlotte was just beating the shit out of her and Charlotte had no idea that Kyrie was concussed at that point. Oscar knew. Oh, okay. Oscar knew. Becky knew, but apparently Charlotte did not know. And there was a big thing in the back about oh what do we do? You know like do we continue this or that? Like. I think that's why a big reason as to why that match was such a total shit show was because Kyrie Singh got concussed so early in the match. That makes sense. And that's probably why, I don't remember what specific spot, why she was, maybe she was, it might have been Kyrie Singh she was throwing that chair against and maybe she didn't want to hurt her more than she was already hurt. Yeah, probably. That's, that's possible. I don't know, like, that match is kind of a blur for me and I try to forget about it. But but yeah, I have Becky for that reason and I have her lower on the list only because she blew up the past few years. And not that she hasn't had great matches, because I can call back to her uh, match with uh, Sasha Banks at a takeover they had back in 2015, I believe it was. And she was super over then. One thing I just cannot stand, and the last thing I'm going to say about Becky Lynch, are fans who were cheering for her last summer who boo her now. Ugh, that's that's everybody. You get too big, and then they're like, oh, I don't like you anymore. It's F- like when she came to Full Sail for the lead-up to Survivor Series, some people were booing her in the crowd. I'm like, are you friggin' kidding me all these people all these people all these people on twitter and all these people in the world are just like yeah becky this becky's great the man this and that she's gonna come kick your ass and then they'll come around like oh becky's overrated becky's this but like get out of here get a effing life for god's sakes they did the same thing to brian they did the same thing to uh what's his face uh johnny johnny uh gargano gargano yeah <laughs> so i don't know but, yeah wc is weird 
I don't know. It's just like the it's, it's like the <laughs> like it's like the indie thing for not only just wrestling fans, but just like fans in general of like of, of an actor or a band or an artist or something. Like, oh, I liked them when they were this and they were that. I'm like, grow up. <laughs> anyway, well, with that being said, <laughs> who is your number ten? I can't believe that I have this person on my list, and he's just an honorable mention to you. And you call yourself the IWC King. I take this throne from you. <laughs> now, you know how I feel about this guy, too. I hate him. I think he's really overrated. I don't like him at all. But from oh, a pure unbiased gosh. perspective, from pure unbiased perspective, I have to put him on here. You know who it is. You, Cody Rhodes. Oh, my God. I'm shocked. I know. I know. I, again, I don't really like the guy. But you know what? From where he was in 2010 to where he is now, that's a testament to who he is, the, the the IQ he has for wrestling as a business, as a sport, the fact that he started a wrestling company to actually rival WWE for the first time since really uh, WCW, because let's be honest, TNA, no one really thought it was going to do anything no, against that, WWE. No, that was not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for, for honestly, for that reason alone, just starting AEW, he has to be at least an honorable mention. And the fact that he did have a lot of great matches, I feel like he has to go on there. He was in my honorable mentions as I mentioned, and he again, he was a guy who I again who I wanted to put in there, but I had to think of other people throughout the decade who because again, Cody, like you said, it's a testament to he was doing nothing. He was floundering in the mid card in the WWE, and when he left, he completely turned his career around and became a bigger star than than he was in the WWE. He, from when he left and started doing these indie shows, he started having matches with people. Like, one of his first indie matches he had was against Kurt Angle, and the match they had was fantastic. And then eventually he did some things here and there with Ring of Honor. He did a thing with New Japan. And then eventually joins Bullet Club and just starts to become a part of that group. And then being the elite blows up. He won the Ring of Honor world title. He had a, a great match with Okada. At the, the first USA set of shows they did in California a couple of years back. So I'm, I'm actually very impressed by this decision. Because I know how much you really just don't care for Cody Rhodes. He's kind of again. He is kind of just there for you, but I'm glad you really took like an kind of an unbiased opinion and threw him in there. Yeah, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm very I'm very shocked, but I'm also very impressed. I'm also very impressed. Wow, uh, away from me. <laughs> Maybe you'll actually give a shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way. Uh, don't be surprised if most of my list is WWE guys because I'm not as well versed I, in AEW, New Japan, stuff like that. Like I, he's one of the two people from an outside company who are on this list. I will so not be, be. I will not be surprised by that because I know how how you are when it comes to wrestling. At least within the past four or five years or so, you've kind of dipped away. So, because look, the fact that Cody made it to your list at all is amazing. <laughs> so just just props to you. I guess we should move on to our number nines. Uh, now, this is the guy I replaced for Will Ospreay. People mm. will probably ostracize this for me, but it's Johnny Gargano. Really? Yeah. I, okay. I, I know Ospreay is, by a hair, probably the better wrestler. Probably. But I threw Gargano in here because 
with from 2016 all the way to now, he's had, in my opinion, the best matches in NXT's history. When he was teaming with Champa in DIY against the Revival for the tag titles, like the match they had at Toronto for the two out of three falls is one of my favorite NXT matches, one of my favorite tag team matches I've ever seen. Um, his matches he ha- match he had with Andrade of Philadelphia, his matches with with Champa are amazing. The match he, the matches he had with Adam Cole this past year with Ricochet with Aleister Black, Velveteen Dream. The guy is like the one of the best wrestlers in the world today. I think NXT's greatest wrestler ever. And you put him in there with anybody and he will have an amazing match. I always that. say that uh, rest, the people who, whose character is, I'm a guy and I like wrestling and I'm good at the wrestling, that character's kind of old and there's so many people in wrestling that are like that now. But with Johnny Gargano and how good he is, he might be one of those exceptions that can get away with it because it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to blow your socks off every match and if you don't like it too bad. He is. He also plays like that underdog babyface kind of role too. Where yeah. a lot of these matches he did not win. As great as they are, he did not win. Like he didn't beat he lost to Champa twice. He lost to Aleister Black. He lost the North American title to Velveteen Dream. He lost his first NXT championship match against uh Andrade. I can hear your dad in the background going, Hey oh Yeah, I mean I live in a Thai ISO, what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the performance it's the performance it's the performances he put in that just uh just made me put him in this list because for the past four year, four or five years or so, he's been just amazing. And again, Osprey has been amazing on this, this just this year alone. But by a hair, I had to pick Gargano. Fair enough. Well, I figured I'd go on to my number nine. Go ahead. Uh, this is the only tag team I have on this list. And before I even get to my number nine, I wanted to say that it was between this team and the Usos, and they kind of have a similar arc because they started from really failure and then went up to being one of the best tag teams in the world uh i just think that the usos just slightly lost uh to the new day new day is my number nine and let me ask you something when the new day first started did you see them doing literally anything at all within the next like six months no i have when when the new day first started i thought the gimmick was horrible I, and that was a, oh sorry go ahead. I was just gonna say it was horrible, and I just didn't want to. There were baby faces I wanted to hate, pretty much. Yeah. And let me ask you another question. Two two or three years after that, do you think okay, well this this was probably gonna get tired and boring, and you know what they're probably gonna split them up soon. Do you think that they would still be together and still be fresh and new and entertaining? No, and somehow they are still able to do that. On their own, might I add, like a lot of that. New Day is an example of of a group or a per or just team or whatever you want to say. That if you just let them be themselves, they will be entertaining and funny, and they'll sell you lots of merchandise just for them being them. No one thought it was going to happen, and the you know what? They became one of the greatest tag teams in the world. Both, and from, I mean, from a pure wrestling standpoint too, because they're all. Tremendous wrestlers. Big E is one of the more underrated at pure wrestlers in the WWE. He actually is really good. Oh yeah, uh, people great. just see him as a people just see him as a big guy, but he's really not. Um, but yeah, it's 
it, it just boggles my mind how this team that honestly Vince probably put them together for obvious reasons and for them to just climb to the ranks that they are now is just unbelievable. They have to be number they have to be in the list. You for sure can argue that they are one of the best tag teams ever. Uh argue that they're WWE's best tag team on the main roster and maybe overall it's it's you can make a strong argument for it. But again, they have been for the past four or five years have been a huge part of the company. And even when they're not in the tag division, like when they're not fighting for the tag team titles, there's still something that they're doing that draws you to them. Whether if it's like like that feud they had with the New Day a couple years back, that I actually really liked that from a storyline standpoint. Like how like Xavier Woods was like scared of Bray Wyatt and how he was just drawn to his power and how he could potentially be you know, drawn to his cult, which the one few times I actually made cult leader Bray Wyatt work. <laughs> but, um, like that, or even when it came to, like, Kofi winning the title this past year at Mania, something that nobody ever thought could happen. Like, him winning the title at Mania and being there for it is genuinely one of my favorite moments in wrestling ever. A it's guy, one of the bigger moments in wrestling. Yeah, a, a guy who busted his ass for 11 years who always seemed to be like in the upper mid card, top of the mid card, a guy who you could throw in for big matches and you could always be a good hand, and a guy who was kind of relegated to this group and a tag team. Not that it's a problem that you know, you're know you in a faction or a tag team, whatever you want to say, because you need to factions, you need tag teams, it's important. But no one ever really thought Kofi would get his proper due, and you finally did this year. So for that alone, I think New Day obviously should be for sure be considered as one of the best like groups, tag teams in, in the discussion of the decade. And they've gone through a lot of adversity too. I mean, they have, you know, had to deal with some injuries and they overcame them and they were still entertaining and popular as ever. And they're dealing one with right now with Woods. He's going to be out yep. for like, I think mid 2020. Oh, that long, really? Uh, he could come back early as like end of the end of the winter. Maybe I think like beginning of the spring is the earliest he could come back. Oh, okay. Because he, he tore his Achilles. Oh, yikes. I didn't even know, so, <laughs> I didn't even know it was that bad. Like, it was just a simple... Like they were, I think him and Big E were having a tag match against the Revival at House Show, and it was just a simple, like, bump he took, and it just... He, he tore his Achilles. Ugh. It's always the simple stuff that gets wrestlers. Oh, yeah, wrestlers. always. Stuff they do a million times. Like, when Rollins busted his... Like, when he messed up his knee when he was champion, and he had, a, like, a House Show match, like, a hardcore match against Kane in Ireland... It was like a sunset flip into a power bomb, and he—that's when he messed up his knee. A, a move he did all the time. Hell, look at Paige. She got retired from basically a general kick. Yeah, no. But yeah, New Day for sure, definitely one of the uh, the group, one of the groups who tag teams for sure deserves recognition for like best of the decade. And since you're talking about tag team, I'll be talking about the only tag team that's on my list. I guess you and I only have one tag team on our list, right? Copycat. <laughs> no, I'm not a copycat here. I know, <laughs> I know these guys are definitely not on your list. These are my number eight. No. I, think I know you, where they are. You know. It's super the, kick party. It's, it's a, a super kick party. It's the Young Bucks. Yeah. It's the Young Bucks. I've been saying for the past two years that I think these guys are the best tag team in the world. I stand by that statement because they somehow there's always something that they can always make their matches new and exciting, innovative. Like, they 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 
can remind you so much of the rockers, of the Rock and Roll Express, like early Hardy Boys. There's so much similarities to those tag teams, and they loved those tag teams growing up as kids. Like if you watch some early like Hardy Boys tag team matches, the Young Bucks are doing similar stuff. Somehow they've been able to innovate their in-ring uh, th- their matches. Sean and I saw uh, them versus SCU of Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky against the Briscoe Brothers at ROH Final Battle 2018 last year. And they were in the main event for the tag titles. And Nick Jackson took this crazy ladder spot, falling to like three tables. And Sean and I were so close that we thought like the dude was dead. Like we, we, <laughs> could, we couldn't like there's because we saw the angle where he was falling in front of us at a different angle from the side. It looked not, it didn't look so bad, but in front of us, we're like, oh shit, he's hurt. He's, he's dead. Like we were, we were legit concerned, but the series of tag matches, like even their early ring of honor days, like when they, they had great tag matches against Bobby fish and Kyle O'Reilly, uh, red dragon for the ROH tag titles. They've had great tag matches against Sonata and evil in new Japan, uh, against GOD, uh, Tamatonga and Tongaloa of uh, bullet club. When the whole bullet club civil war storyline was kind of going on, they had great tag matches with, uh, show and yo, uh, Rapunky three K. They have the chaos faction. Uh, they had great matches I said Red Dragon already. Uh, they're having great... <laughs> just this past year, they had great matches with the, two amazing matches with the Lucha Brothers. They've had some really great matches on AEW with Santana and Ortiz. So you throw them in any situation with just about any tag team, and they will deliver 10 times over. Meltzer said there... Oh, go ahead. I was uh, Yeah, I mean, I can understand why people like them. I mean, I, I, I make fun of them a lot because of the whole super kick thing and the fact that they don't really have much of a gimmick, but... They are incredible wrestlers, and just they show. I mean, they're important to me at at the same time because I'm a huge tag team wrestling guy. I hate when people say that or people, you know, expect tag teams to get broken up so that they can have singles careers. You don't need a singles career. Tag teams are really important, and I'm glad that they exist for that reason. Yeah, and that's how they are. They they don't want to be singles wrestlers. They want to be a tag team and stay a tag team for the rest of their career. And that's fair credit to them. Also, the just within a like, I want to say it was about 2016, late 2016, 2017. That's when they really started getting some real like mainstream recognition. When Bullet Club T-shirts and Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega shirts were showing up in hot topics all over the country. They originally started with just Young Bucks Bullet Club shirts, and then they started selling. So then they started putting Cody shirts, and they started putting Kenny shirts, and Marty Skrull shirts, and they started putting in more and more. More New Japan guys' shirts were starting to get in there, and people were buying them. So there was a market for them, and then eventually gets AEW now with their shirts being at Hot Topic. Like, the amount of money I've spent on fucking their shirts, on their shirts, and I just cursed. I'm sorry. Oh, let's say you told me not to curse. I, I know. I, I Irish did. accent. I I did. I oh my Ugh, god. Right. Unbelievable. I'll just I'll label this. I'll, <laughs> label, I'll label this episode as explicit. So, <laughs> uh, the amount of money I've spent on shirts from Bullet Club guys and the Elite uh, is from Hot Topic is insane. I'd rather not say because the number is probably huge. But but the point is like they were able to make that type of 
mainstream, like a big store like Hot Topic. It's not like they're in like, sure, there's pro wrestling tees in Chicago and from a wrestling market, you know, pro wrestling tees makes a lot of money every year from different rest with different wrestlers, and different companies. But Hot Topic is like a huge store in malls all around the world, all around the U.S. that draw money and have a lot of pop culture stuff like Marvel and DC and Star Wars, you know, they have band shirts and Harry Potter and Nightmare Before Christmas and the, the list goes on and on of, of the, the stuff that has there. So to see like to see like uh, a Kingdom Hearts shirt or a Game of Thrones shirt next to like a Young Bucks shirt at a Hot Topic, that's a big deal. Well ladies, find you a man that spends money on you like CJ spends money at Hot Topic. A lady already found me. Found me for that. <laughs> that is true. Because <laughs> I've gotten her some of those shirts too. And she, right, so what number are we on? Eight, right? Yeah. Well, I was on my eight, so I guess you're on your number eight. Yes, I am. Good job, bud. See, Thank I can you. always count on you. You're the professional. Yes, you can count on me to count. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get killed for this, man. I mean, he's on the top ten in the decade, so he's still really good. But he is at number eight, and I had to go with Daniel Bryan. Um, yeah, I know that. No. Like a punch in the gut to these uh, sweaty fans. I don't know. He should um, be on there. <laughs> I'm surprised he's a little lower on your list. But yeah, ahead. I mean, I was looking at this list over and over again. I'm like, does Daniel Bryan really need to be number eight? But I feel like he does. I mean, yes, he. there was a part of his career for like three years before he got hurt where it was – Unreal, the transition that he made from losing in 18 seconds at WrestleMania to being on the top of the world. Was it next year or the year afterwards? He lost, it was the next year, right? He lost the title to Sheamus at Mania 28 in like 18 seconds in 2012. And then the following year, that SummerSlam in 2013, that's when he beat Cena for the title. And then that's where the whole story started with him and the other Right, Olympics. right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, the reason why I have, I'm, I can say what he did, everyone knows what he did, I'm just going to try and legitimize why I have him at a little lower. A, I always had problems with his character work, now his latest heel run, I have to say, definitely exceeded expectations, but at the end of the day, it was kind of a gimmick that's like, I'm a vegan, hate me. <laughs> so, I mean, I, again, he I, deserves all the credit in the world, but... His character work can, you know, use a little bit of work, and you do I, have to deduct some points because he was hurt for so long. I kind of have to disagree with you a little bit on the character work because when he first started, sure, the character work may have not really been there. Like when he first started in WWE, from like 2010 to maybe 2011. But he, but like, but when he won the world title and just started doing the whole yes thing, he did it because he was being arrogant and he was being just a cocky dick. Uh, having AJ as his manager, and then the whole yes thing started at Mania, and he embraced it, and it became a chant that's universal to, you know, you can't see me, or if you smell what the rock is cooking, uh, give me a hell yeah, what, like all these chants. Uh, you know, suck it. Like like when you have a chant, I think you should be revered as one of the greatest of all time. And his character, I think his character work, even like just getting being a sympathetic babyface, um, 
from when he was trying to win the title from the from Randy Orton and the Authority and beating them. And I think his his heel run was one of my favorite parts of this entire year. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, I mean, the Yes chant I think is bigger than all the other chants because, I mean, even the New York Islanders, after every goal, they still say yes, yes, yes. I mean, I don't think all that other stuff, yeah. I mean, I don't think all this other stuff even, you know, leaked out of the world of wrestling to the point where the Yes chant did. So I I got to give him credit there. Yeah, the Yes chant was happening everywhere. And, and like, the fact that WWE was just, like, they still want to do Orton versus Batista, it's like, why? (laughs) But it's it's fair credit that eventually he finally did get the moment he deserved, and he won in the end. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking about him later on, I'm sure, so. Yeah, (laughs) so I'm I'm holding back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit of a spoiler, so. Like, eventually we are going to have similar guys, but um, I guess we should move on to our number seven. My number seven is Seth Rollins. Hmm. Now, Seth Rollins, um, had he kind of not had such a shaky year this year, he probably would have been a little higher. Um, we all kind of know, I, I've documented how much I've been like critical of his booking this year, and not to say that I don't love Seth Rollins or I'm not a Seth Rollins fan. I am a big Seth Rollins fan. I just I will call out booking on a wrestler when I don't like it and it's not necessarily to the fault of the wrestler in, in, in WWE's standpoint. It's the booking. Like from when he came in he came in huge and was treated like a big deal when he debuted with The Shield. Um, with Seth, uh, with Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose, as a faction together, there wasn't a thing that you could just boo about these guys, or that you just didn't think they were cool to a certain degree, even when they were heels, because they were putting, they were making six man tag matches of a lot of fun, whereas six man tag matches for a long time in WWE was just like, oh, here's like three big baby faces, here's three big heels, let's just throw them together. Or like, or here's a baby, like babyface tag team, random babyface tag team, or heel tag. It just they randomized six man tags. Whereas when the Shield were doing it, it was a big deal, and these matches were fun. Like remember Wyatt Family versus uh, the Shield at Elimination Chamber before Mania? I forget about that. Remember the Shield versus the Wyatt Family at Raw that we were at? It was after the show had ended, and we didn't think that you know that was going to happen because at that point it didn't happen. But then when they teased it. The crowd went nuts, and we actually wanted to stay afterwards, and that's kind of the reason why we got home at like two o'clock in the morning. But you know, <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> lost in Brooklyn, but yeah, <laughs> our uh, our guy who is not really our friend anymore. Well, not my friend anymore. He was never your friend. Um, he's like, oh yeah. What if he's listening? What if he's listening? I don't give a <laughs> shit. If he is, he's not listening. Come on. He's definitely not listening. But if he ever, <laughs> if he ever was, uh, he can he can go f himself. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, that was fun. And and the the Shield versus Evolution matches, those two matches back to back, those pay per views were fantastic. Who would ever thought? I I was there for the one at Elimination, not Elimination Chamber, uh, Extreme Rules in 2014. I know you were supposed to come with me for that show, but unfortunately you couldn't get off from your job. Yeah. Um, but that was a lot of fun. I mean, and Seth Rollins was like the standout in that match. Like he jumped from uh, 
like there was a walkway and he was at the top of the stand and he jumped onto Triple H, Randy Orton, and Dean Ambrose. And then you had Batista and Roman Reigns in there for the finish. But that match was crazy. And then the one in Chicago for Payback may have been even better where there was extreme, I think it was like a no-holds-barred elimination rule. And it was a clean sweep over Evolution. Just mm-hmm. proving that they have complete faith in these guys. These were three guys that... I think we eventually all knew that these were three guys who were going to be big stars in the company eventually, and they were going to break up. And when they did break up the Shield the first time, we were like, oh no, why'd they do this? But when you look back, it needed to be done because one, Brian was hurt and he was the champion at the time. Punk had left, and the talent pool as far as your top guys was really like getting lower and lower. And Cena was starting to become a bit of a part-timer at that point. So when they turned Rollins heel and they had him join the authority. And to me, that is Seth Rollins at his best when he is a heel. His heel work from 2014 all the way to 2015, winning the title at WrestleMania, cashing in in the middle of Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns' match, is one of my favorite WrestleMania moments. I mean, you and Ed were here watching that, and you saw how nuts I was going. Uh, I was ready to... I I had 911 on speed dial. I thought you were going to have a mild heart attack. I almost did. Like, I was losing my mind. I was just like, they're doing it. They're actually doing it. And at that point, they never had a cash-in at Mania. And they still have not had a cash-in at Mania yet. And they just, they capitalized on a situation where they're just like, you know, Roman wasn't really necessarily ready. They were against him. So I think that was, it's probably his best moment of his career. Him beating Brock and Roman at the same night. And I will say, I'm sure you'd never jump that high in your life. So, I mean, good good job to you. Yeah, probably not. Uh, I'm not gonna say <laughs> I'm not gonna say too much about it because I do have them later on. Uh, what what I will say is, it was funny how you talked about you not liking him too much this year because of booking. I go a little farther than that. I mean, I don't think I mean, yeah, booking failed him a little bit, but he kind of did himself no favors. Yeah, he is a natural heel, which means he is a natural dick. I mean, he is just. An unlikable human being. I think that's you know? that's that is another thing with what's also thing I didn't like about him this year was how he had kind of had no filter when it came to being on Twitter and interviews and all this stuff. He really just didn't get it or whatever. Like he said some really distasteful things about John Moxley when he left the company to go better his career. Where in Rollins's words, I believe he said was he took his ball and went home. Yeah, I'm like, no, he didn't take his balls, went home. He he left because he was unhappy in a, in the working environment, because John Moxley was not as Dean Ambrose was not afforded the same opportunities as Seth Rollins. Like it's clear that like they had big plans for Rollins, they had big plans for Reigns, but they didn't have as much big plans as Ambrose. Whereas Ambrose was like the redheaded stepchild of the Shield to the WWE. Yeah, and I can see Ron's point, but at the same time, I mean, you have to play your character pretty much 24-7 when you're in the WWE, especially when you have the responsibility that he had. So, you know, it, it just wasn't smart to just be tweeting like that. You sh- no, and it's just not smart to to downplay a guy who you consider a close friend. And at the time when he said that, Rollins was a baby face. He didn't turn heel until mm-hmm. November recently. So, again, he was saying questionable things, and he said stuff about Will Ospreay. He was undermining Will Ospreay, who Jericho came out and defended him. And like, like Rollins called him little guy. 
and Jericho's like, he's actually like the same size as you. Like, he's not little at all. Like, so, you'd think these tweets would be coming from Corey Graves, not Seth, he, uh, face Seth Rollins. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> I do have to admire the Seth Rollins for being a very pro WWE guy, a company guy, and, you know, if you are the top guy in your company, you do want to, you know, protect it, and you want to stand up for it. And it's not necessarily that people are, they dump on the, the, the not really so much the wrestling of it, because sure, the wrestling of it on Raw and SmackDown can be a little boring when they're not given time, but it's mainly the booking that fans have a problem with the main WWE product of Raw and SmackDown. But overall, Rollins, when you take, even taking that away, his run from his heel run in, in 2014, 2015, all the way, and his babyface run, end of 2017 into, uh, end of 2016 into 2018, 2017, 2018, Rollins, you have, cannot deny, he is one of the best wrestlers of this past decade, and, again, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'll be getting into it a little later, probably, hopefully yeah, not you, too long. You, <laughs> you, you give your more in-depth of what you think of Rollins when he comes back around. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so I'll go ahead and go on to my number seven. Now, this one's... It's rough because I'm kind of cheating here, but this this guy deserves all the credit in the world to be in the company that just constantly doesn't give fans what they want and is just uh, it just po- constantly pisses fans off. For him to be as successful as he's been is a miracle. My number seven, Triple H. Now, talk about him for, as a wrestler real quick. Earlier on in the decade, he was having great matches with The Undertaker. He had a bunch of great matches throughout the decade uh, period. But honestly, the thing that really propelled him up into this list for me was his work in NXT. Because NXT is just... It came out of nowhere to be so much better than the main roster. And by leaps and bounds, like by a mile. Still is better than the main roster. NXT is a million times better than the main roster. On its worst day, it eats the main roster's lunch. And <laughs> most of that, and not even most of that, all of that, really, in my opinion, is because of Triple H. Because how many times do you see NXT stars leave NXT and then just disappear out of nowhere? Because it's a lot. people running the show don't know what they're doing. Triple H knows what he's doing. It's a handful of people from who have gone from NXT to the main roster who have, done, who have been very successful and who have been consistently successful. And the it's one, a little more than a handful. I mean, that hand's the size of Godzilla. Well, what I'm, I mean, like, I'm not talking <laughs> about people who were like who got botched after they got called up. I'm talking about people who, when they got called up, have been consistently good, at, or they have had better success in recent memory. And the one person, oh, I see. The one person who I think has had like the, has been the best out of NXT, and she seems more like a main roster person is Charlotte Flair. Charlotte's the best mm-hmm. NXT call-up because there's n- maybe like having her heel or babyface at the wrong time or whatever. Mostly having her babyface at the wrong time, but as far as her in-ring work and her accomplishments, she is second to none and the best one. Another one with one of the best in the world. Um, I am a little surprised you have Triple H in there, but again, I shouldn't be too surprised you have someone like him in there because your knowledge of wrestling in the past few years have not has not been like not knowledge, but your memory, I should say, and what you've seen, what you haven't seen. 
Um, so and, you're, and again, it's not really because of his in-ring, you know, uh, stuff. I mean, yeah, he had some great matches, but it. I do think the executive stuff should be put in there because I mean, it gave it gave room for so many other great wrestlers to do their thing, like Johnny Gargano, like Tommaso Ciampa, and all these other guys. I've I actually think that's a very smart way of putting him in there. So you're more praising him this past decade from a booking standpoint rather than you're an actual wrestler. Yeah, I mean, he did have great matches, but what really, you know, the main reason I put him up there was because of NXT. All right. I mean, I can't argue against that. I think that's actually a very smart way of throwing him in there. I'm smart, yay! S-S-M-R-T! We were at number seven, right? So we're on number six? Number six. Okay, my number six is the phenomenal AJ Styles. Oh, okay, we can talk about it together. Because my number six is also AJ Styles. Okay, then. All right, great. Hey. <laughs> okay, so AJ is a little lower on my list because I just feel like the next few people I'm going to talk about have been, um, I think I've done, um, I guess, a lot more, I should say. I don't know. Um, AJ has been a guy who, in three different companies this year, he was the world champion in every single one. He started off the beginning of this decade in the early in uh, in TNA, um, and even when the fans were like all over him, he was kind of like an afterthought for like guys like Hogan and Sting. He left. He leaves TNA, goes over to New Japan, joins Bullet Club the first night, beats Okada in his first championship match against him, and Okada is the guy over there, and he revitalizes the Bullet Club to new heights that people may have not thought like it was getting it was pretty big well not pretty big but it was starting to get hot when Balor Prince Devitt was running the ship but I think people really started to know who they were was because of AJ Styles and the amount of matches he was having in New Japan against guys like Okada and Naito Minoru Suzuki Uh, he even had a match against Carl Anderson and they were in Bullet Club together but that was because of the Chief One and he, in one of my favorite matches of this decade, and one of my favorite matches maybe ever, is his match with Shinsuke Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom 10 before the year uh, in 2016. It's before. Uh, it's when they both. It was their last match in New Japan, or well, I think AJ's last match in New Japan, the last big match they had before coming to the WWE for uh, the IWGP Intercontinental title. It's just a hard-hitting match. It's It'll blow your mind. And it's the match that should have happened at WrestleMania. But maybe not the match that should have happened at WrestleMania because they're not going to let them do New Japan-style stuff. But they should have had a match similar to this when their match happened at Mania. It's amazing that a company like WWE can just completely make me like just be disinterested in a few like Nakamura versus Styles. But putting that aside, he comes to WWE. He enters the Royal Rumble. He has a WrestleMania match against Chris Jericho, beats John Cena clean as a whistle at SummerSlam, and then wins the WWE title a month later. That would be the equivalent of Sting. Entering in the Royal Rumble and beating Stone Cold Steve Austin in at WrestleMania clean, like you would never think. And 
he did it. I mean, it, it's kind of incredible that he did. I didn't think that they were going to treat him right. I thought he was. I thought he was actually going to be a, kind of a Shinsuke Nakamura situation where they were just kind of going to underuse him and not let him do what he does best. And I, I give him all the credit in the world, man. He's he's so good, so good that he can he can wrestle anybody, in anybody, tw- and it would be an amazing match in twenty sixteen. For like 2016, 2017, from most of 2017 and 2016, he was like the best in the world for me. He still is one of the best in the world. You can still argue him being the best in the world. But he, I was listening to uh, Gallows and Anderson on Stone Cold's podcast, like an older episode they did a couple years ago. And Austin said, you know, I was glad when he came to, to WWE and... I was I knew he'd do he'd do he would do really well if they gave him if they gave him a chance and he'll light it up and that and I have to kind of censor myself and the MFR is lighting it up <laughs> like they they gave him a shot they're just like all right we're gonna go we're gonna go with you we're gonna see what you got kid well, not kid he's he's in his forties but the point is they gave him an opportunity he exceeds expectations every single time. Like AJ Styles is another guy in the company, and like you can put him in the ring with anybody, and he will get a great match out of you. Like he got two great matches out of Jinder Mahal. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Wait, just... Hold on. Don't don't make fun of him. All right, he's my number one. The... Yeah, so you better get, relax. Get off. Get off. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I kind of wish AJ Styles was the one to break Undertaker's streak because how great would that match have been? For him to be the one to break the streak and him getting a good match out of a ancient Undertaker. Excuse me. Oh my god. Excuse me. I had to pull my headset away from the mic real quick. <laughs> I don't know how much that got in there. But anyway, no, I think if Styles was Taker's last opponent ever, which the way Taker's going, it's still possible that he could be. Yeah. Um,. Styles is the one guy on the roster who could get one last great match out of Taker. He's the one guy. And by the way, how old is AJ himself? Like 45 or something? He's got to be in his mid-40s by now. I mean, this is... In sports terms, this is an old man. And the guy is flying around doing all this crazy stuff. The guy practically has a six-pack. Jesus. AJ Styles is 42. He's a DILF. <laughs> you have to. You know what's crazy though is that he's been doing this for so long. He's been with TNA. He's been with New Japan, and he's the best he's ever been right now. Like a fine wine, it's unbelievable. Like he has the the wisdom of someone like Shawn Michaels at that age, but he also is like moving like Shawn Michaels, like in his second run in the company. Like, well, breaking news, CJ. I'm what? sorry, I thought you were done, but a breaking news. My dad just texted me saying I have two grilled cheese sandwiches waiting for me after I'm done with the podcast. Oh, good. So I am infinitely in a better mood. That's good. <laughs> you gonna you gonna ship the other you gonna ship the other one to me in Jersey? Like I'm gonna share food with literally anybody. <laughs> fair, fair point. <laughs> You bastard. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was important. I mean, I don't know. No, that's important. Food's important. You gotta eat. <laughs> um, but you, you have to, again, you have to imagine, like, AJ really, he really is the best he's ever been now. I know you 
probably haven't watched a whole lot of his stuff in New Japan or TNA or anything, but... Oh, uh, you told me to. God knows you told me to. <laughs> I know. I just keep forgetting. Uh, <laughs> but I, but did you watch, like, a little... I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I've, I've said it before. I haven't watched too much TNA stuff. I didn't watch it too much as a kid. I didn't watch his TNA stuff, but I remember watching uh, him versus Chris Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom. I remember watching that match, and I was really impressed with both of them. You mean WrestleMania? No, Wrestle Kingdom. He didn't... No, that's... You're thinking about Omega now. I am. Yikes. AJ... No, I haven't seen anything AJ outside of WWE. (laughs) Okay, if if there's anything of a match of styles that you should watch outside of WWE, it's his match against Nakamura at WrestleMania... Yeah. Wrestle King... Now you're doing it to me. Wrestle (laughs) Wrestle Kingdom 10. Um, And a triple threat match he had for the X Division title between Samoa Joe, him, and Christopher Daniels, which... So according to Meltzer, is the greatest match in TNA's history, and it's a hell of a match. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I've and, heard good things about it. And he had great matches with Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe back in TNA. Um, but again, I think we've kind of said everything we could say about AJ Styles. He's a guy who we were all yeah. who we were all worried about coming to the company, like a guy who sure for sure deserves to be there because of how great he is. But we were concerned was. Were the management going to get him? Were they going to let him, you know, take the ball and run with it? And he has every single time. Yeah, he's he's, he's the phenomenal one, dude. He has to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess we should get to uh, number five. I guess I'll go with uh, number my number five. All right. Um, you're probably going to be shocked that I have him here. You probably, like, knowing me, you probably would have figured that I put him at my number one. Oh, I'm going to do a, the biggest shock reaction ever. Let's go. <laughs> my number five is CM Punk. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, now, for anybody who knows me personally, shows <laughs> <laughs> already laughing. CM Punk is one of, if not my favorite wrestler ever. Next to guys like Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels. Like I think we were in one night we were all hanging out in, in my car, Ed's car one night, and I think you or Ed asked me like your favorite. We all went like favorite wrestler ever. I think Ed said Eddie Guerrero, you said Undertaker, and then I said CM Punk without hesitation. All I can think about is that CM Punk shirt with the yellow sweat stains in your armpits because <laughs> you wore it every day of your life like it was your religion. I didn't wear that one that often. I wore you smelly bastard. <laughs> I shower, I buy deodorant, I don't spend $500 on a replica title belt in lieu of deodorant. You should buy an MJF scarf. You sweaty, smelly wrestling yeah, fan. I should. I'm such a mark. Anyway. No, like the ones I wore that I wore to death were like the best in the world one that he come out with, the white one, the... The, yeah. the, the one where like it's the mural of him, the one they released for Mania against Taker. Like the white, like his best shirts were white, and I just wore them all the time, and then I got yellow pit stains underneath them. But we're not talking Gross. about we're not talking about me and my ridiculousness with his shirts. This man has a girlfriend, by the way. <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> she puts up with my ridiculousness. She wasn't she was not around for the CM Punk stuff. She no, was. thank God. So him retiring was probably a good thing, because good probably wouldn't have gotten a girlfriend at that point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but Punk. I'll kind of take a line from you. He did kind of make wrestling what it is today as far as the landscape of the WWE and wrestling how it is in the indies and 
just he changed everything for a guy who came in cuts this pipe bomb promo and they pretty much tell him you're going to go out there air your grievances on a live mic at the end of the show and in this documentary he says well surely you must be joking and he does not hold back if even if you take away his work from when he started in the WWE and up until like when he did like the straight at society and after that if you take away that and just go from the pipe bomb promo all the way to the end of his career in 2014 he still has a hall of fame worthy career in my opinion at least yeah i mean the seven the seven uh whatever what was it, seven years right that he wasn't in the wwe something like that it was a long time and uh, that definitely hurts him but i don't want to say anything because i have him much farther ahead, but I know. I know. I, the reason why I don't want to say anything now is because people don't understand. I think how impactful he was, not to just WWE, but for wrestling all over the place. I Literally think, every company. I think benefited so too. from him. And the and I don't think there is a wrestler who has had so much of of fan desire to see him back in the ring more and I say this more than any other wrestler more than Steve Austin more than uh, Shawn Michaels more than Sting um, just all these guys who have retired over the years he has the every once in a, every year how many times a year for every year do we hear there since he retired oh there's gonna be a CM Punk return to WWE CM Punk return to wrestling CM Punk this CM Punk like there's always something when it comes to him there, he's such a polarizing figure that people just want him back and he oh they were chanting his name just, like right, right up until he was signed by Fox which was seven years after his departure that's he, crazy people still chant his name at shows which is insane you you'd think you'd think most wrestlers would just like they when they're done they kind of just like ah you know you know whatever you're gone but but Pete, the, I think it's the way he left how he was treated when he was there in the end and just how great of a job he did people just wanted him back just again he's a polarizing figure and one of the best ever and easy he's still one one of my favorites maybe my favorite wrestler ever. And it hurts. And uh, in about two minutes ago, two minutes from now, there's going to be another rumor saying CM Punk's returning to the ring. Yeah. I'm calling it right now. I mean, the only thing is, like, <laughs> it's more credible now because of the whole Fox WWE thing. It's more credible now than it was like a year or two ago. It's still at a point where I'll believe it when I see it. I still think there's me too, me too. a bunch of stuff that they have to work out. That's a burnt bridge they have to rebuild. But you know, he, it's I definitely mean, more possible now than it was six months from now. He did say with Renee Young that, and he said like at a. Q&A at a Comic-Con or something, where he's like, you know, they, they asked what would it take for him to come back to WWE. He's like, you know, a big bag, meaning a, a whole lot of cash. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, he he said he'd be open to talking, but it's a lot of bridge re, rebuilding a bridge that was burnt a long time ago. So, it would... he's, But to him, he's open to talking. That's enough for me. That's enough for me, but again, yeah. we'll, we'll believe a punk return when we see it. But anyway, I think you should get into your number five. Yeah, I mean, well, really quick before I get into my number five, even though people are thinking about CM Punk coming back, I wonder how much this him being on Fox working with WWE changes AJ Lee's chances of coming back. Because I'd like to see her back, too. Yes, definitely. Imagine the matches she'd have with the 
talent they have now. Stephanie McMahon actually commented and said, like, you know, that she would be open to uh, to AJ coming back, and she's a she's a girl. Like, r- real quickly, AJ Lee was a girl, I think, who really changed the women's division of how it is now. Oh yeah, I think she was the precursor to the whole four horsewomen thing of NXT. She was the best one out of all the model women of the of that era. I mean, sure you had Natalia in there. Natalia's a good hand and she is the Hart family and all that. But AJ was, you know, actually creative. Not <laughs> like yeah. not like she wasn't, you know, kind of using her family's name to get over because she had no family name in wrestling. She did this on her own. And she's a Jersey girl. You have to appreciate that. Yeah, most people say that the women's re- uh, revolution started with the four horsemen and everything. It I say with, BS. It started I with AJ. It started with AJ. It started with AJ because AJ was the best wrestler on that roster, and she was getting great matches out of girls who really weren't that good. All right, no question. All right, so this <laughs> – I'm kind of concerned now because I have him here. I hope he's in your list because he deserves every bit of it. Mm-hmm. My number five is Bray Wyatt. I'm God, he's so good. I'm going to disappoint you and say he's not oh, in my no. list. <laughs> not even the honorable mentions. He, you know, I'll just say it, right, I'll say it right now. Bray Wyatt, yes, honorable mention. Especially cause right, with good. the whole Fiend thing. I don't have him here purely because of his uh, booking in the past. Only yeah, reason, I mean... Only reason he's not in my list. Yeah, I, mean, I try not to hold that against people, but I mean... People forget. I mean, I'm I'm not going to talk much about the Fiend because everyone knows how good he is. Everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I can talk about it a little bit because this past TLC, people have been kind of complaining that his non-Fiend match when he came out just as him and the sweater vest and everything was kind of bad because the match itself technically wasn't that great. All of you say that. Shut your mouth. Okay. No, that I was agree. I agree. Probably one of the most entertaining matches on that card because of his personality alone. He is the best character wrestler. Since the Undertaker, hands down, no question about it. I don't, I can't think of anyone else who could just carry a match with just him being him. And uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just, I'm not gonna disagree with you because I've said to you, Wyatt is like the, he's the best character wrestler today. There's nobody better than him. Like again, a lot of fans are gonna want to watch. Like wrestling matches for wrestling matches, but you you can't necessarily think that for every single wrestler. Like if you're gonna see a match between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles, okay, you want to critique that on the in-ring work between the two of them because that's how people are drawn to them is their in-ring style. When you're watching a match with Bray Wyatt and The Miz, this match was built on a story. Granted, the story wasn't that great, the build or anything. It was kind of like shoehorned in there. I was more interested in, like you said, in Wyatt's character work as the Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt. And his character work was absolutely amazing in this match. And uh, I swear that's the last thing I'll talk about The Fiend. People forget that, A, he was Husky Harris. Yeah. He was some fat slob who was just kind of <laughs> whatever. Was, what, what, was the, what was the thing? He was a diesel tank with a Ferrari engine or whatever the hell. <laughs> I don't know, it was stupid. It was so I remember. Stupid. Oh my god. Oh, that was a horrible line. Uh, oh dumb. my god. But his I don't think his original Bray Wyatt like Wyatt family gimmick gets enough credit because that was the first gimmick that felt big, that felt huge in a long, 
long time, and it's something that the WWE desperately needed for fans like me, who you know <laughs> definitely enjoy in ring wrestling. But when everyone's good wrestling. When everyone's great, nobody's great. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of one yeah, of those things. It is. You need something else to differ- differentiate yourself. And he was really the first person to do that in a long time. Those early Wyatt family vignettes were just so good. And his early work as the cult leader was something we've never really seen before in wrestling. And what's amazing about Bray is like, all this character stuff and with the cult leader or the fiend or the Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt, this is all stuff that comes from him. And he yeah. is so brilliant at that. Like, I remember hearing Harper on uh, Edge and Christian's podcast uh, a couple years ago. And he was just talking about, you know, when he was trying to get uh, work in NXT. Uh, and uh, he was just. <clears throat> he was really <coughs> trying to get work, and someone told him to get in contact with with Bray Wyatt, and he and he told him all this stuff that was going on. He's like, he had th- these ideas, like out somewhere out in a bayou, and Harper's just like, man, this guy's got some really weird ideas. But but when they worked on the vignettes and everything, he's just like, this is this can actually really work, and it helped guys like Luke Harper and Eric Rowan to a certain degree in certain points of their careers. But I think for as I think the thing that they the big disconnect was is that they wanted to make him all spooky and mis- and mysterious like the Undertaker in a certain way, but the cult leader Bray Wyatt was not necessarily that character. But here's the thing, though, it would have worked. I I'm telling you, if he did everything the way he did it, even when Wyatt family was not working, if he did everything the exact same. But he actually won matches. It would be totally different. But this is a guy who I think the booking just killed him to the point where I didn't think he would he would recover, and he did. I mean, when he first debuted, I told you first thing I saw, I said there is no possible way they can fuck. They can mess this guy up. Thank you. There is no possible. Yeah, there is no possible way, and they did it anyway. And uh, I was so upset when they did it, but the fact that we got the fiend out of it, it's kind of a you know good thing, kind of a bad thing, whatever. But him himself is just unbelievable, and he's a guy who I need to see more of in wrestling. Well, with the fiend being the universal champion, and um, how they've been booking him lately, as far as trying to scoop the whole hell in a cell thing under the rug, um, I think they've learned and they've shown that. I mean, right now, the current plan for the WrestleMania main event is The Fiend versus Roman Reigns, and I know you people can automatically kind of groan at that, but I've thought about it, and I think I'm more open to The Fiend and Roman in the main event because of two things. One, it's two full-time guys in the roster, and two, we haven't seen Roman in the title picture in a long time. And at that point, he would have been out of the title picture for like a year and a half. Uh, my problem with it is that Roman doesn't need that win. I mean, if you're going to beat the, if you're going to be one of the first people to beat the Fiend, it has to be someone who needs to push. And Roman, he's Roman. <laughs> yeah, That's my problem with it. there is that problem with it, but I'm more open to it. For me, as long as the build can be good and the story is good and the match is really good, which I'm sure the match will be good. Um, that's all that matters to me. Sure, I, I want a true McIntyre Fiend match. That's what I want. 
I want an Alistair Black versus The Fiend match. That's what I want. I want Alistair Black versus anybody match. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Alistair Black didn't do too much for him to even make it to our list, but he's but he nah. Won. But I'm sure this coming decade, the 2020 into 2030, he'll be all over the place. I'll say it right now. There's no way they can mess him up. And just when you say that, he's gonna be, <laughs> he's gonna be friggin' jobbing to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania oh, in like God. five years. Anyway, <laughs> right, before this turns into another two-hour episode. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so our number our number four, correct? That is number four, bud. All right, my number four is Kenny Omega. Okay. Kenny Omega is similar to the Young Bucks. Is a guy who has revolutionized wrestling and brought a different style to it within the past number of years. You can talk about his matches with Kazuchika Okada to death because they are some of the best matches in New Japan's history and some of the best matches I've just seen, period. Now, if you can't like really watch matches that could go for about an hour, and if you see that already, it may not be for you. But when you watch other matches of Kenny Omega, like Kenny Omega had a great match with Chris Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom 12 or 13, I believe. Nah, that was AJ Styles. <laughs> I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 12. Jericho had a match with uh, with Omega for the U- the IWGP US title. And that was a great match. He had another great match with uh, Jericho at AEW Double or Nothing earlier this year. Not as good, but still very good. Uh, his match with Pac at All Out was fantastic. Um, he's had matches, great matches against Cody, uh, against Naito, Hiroshi Tanahashi earlier this year at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, earlier this year in, in Wrestle Kingdom. Kenny Omega is another guy like AJ Styles who has been labeled as the one of, if not the best in the world, getting the best belt machine. I mean, he's the guy who broke Meltzer's star rating. When you talk about star ratings for Meltzer, when he breaks them, it's oh, it's usually always a Kenny Omega match. Like he's the one who started that. His matches with Okada, his matches with with Naito, his ma- uh, matches he had like the the tag matches he had with Kota Ibushi against the Young Bucks, uh, his match with Kota Ibushi in the G1 G1. Uh, and Kenny Omega is kind of an acquired taste because not everybody likes his kind of crazy selling. He uh, he acts like an anime character. Yeah, he he does, but he's <laughs> he's big on anime. That's, yeah, that's who he is. You can tell. He, he kind of tries to take his in-ring style as if he's a video game character, or if he mm-hmm. is an anime character. And I actually like that a lot. I mean, one of his signature moves is running knee uh, called the V trigger, and the V trigger, I believe, is a move in Street Fighter. Is it not? Uh, I don't know. I could have sworn I heard it in Devil May Cry as well. I, I could be wrong. Okay. But no, it's double trigger. But I, I but I think it is a move in a video game, and that's why he calls it the the V trigger. Uh, Japan likes that stuff. It's like something trigger. I don't know. Yeah, but Kenny has been one of the guys who was making big waves outside of of the WWE and in Japan, in Japan, and then being a part of this group with the elite of starting a wrestling company and just bringing an alternative to fans. He, for sure, should go down as one of the best of this decade. Maybe one of the best ever in in a few years' time. But but Omega was having some of my favorite matches this decade. Like, the past three or four years, he's had some of my favorite matches. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't lie to you. I don't know too much about the guy, but uh, I mean, I can respect the fact that if there is any one person outside of WWE that wrestled in like you know Japan or whatever that people widely know their name, it would be Kenny Omega, and that alone is a huge feat. So I mean, again, I'm I'm sure he's a great wrestler. I, I did watch the you know the match with uh, Chris Jericho. I did think it was really good. Um, I really like the V trigger a lot. That's a great move. But uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I definitely don't have him on the list because I just haven't seen enough from him, but that's more of a me thing. I, I'm sure he's as great as everyone says. He absolutely is. And I think you would like him if you saw more of his stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Eh, I don't know, that, that stupid point that he does, that's like, uh, I don't know, it's the little things that bother me, man. It's weird. <laughs> uh, on my number four, though, you're going to be upset with me. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. I mean, he's still number four. I mean, come on now. But I'm putting Chris Jericho on here. Uh, maybe he's number four because he's fat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> as, as Christian would say on, on their podcast, what, because he's a pop, he's a pat, uh, pop belly pig? <laughs> <laughs> he had a little too much of the bubbly. But, um, <laughs> a little too much of the bubbly. <laughs> he, it, it's crazy how, I mean, we're, we were talking about AJ Styles being old. This is an old man. and He's, he's almost still, 50. Gee, oh my God. And he's still putting on great matches. He's still doing his thing, and he's doing something that few wrestlers do, and that's constantly, constantly adapt and change his character and make himself feel fresh. And never, he's never going to give you the same thing twice. And he deserves all the credit in the world because there's so many times where he could have just been like, "Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I have nothing else to do. I've done everything there could be." done and yet you know he's still going strong it's it's nuts how good he proved that he is at an old age i mean he started this decade as a world champion and he's ending this decade as a world champion Mm -hmm. jericho is a guy who has shown that he is he can constantly reinvent himself he the second he thinks something might go stale he changes it he can get anything over. He got the word "it" over. <laughs> yeah. He got, he got a stupid piece of paper and a cardboard, uh, a car, I'm sorry, clipboard over. The guy can do anything, and he prints, and he can print money like a madman. I'm trying to think of the people who constantly reinvented themselves throughout the career. I think of him, Undertaker. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Like it's that rare of a thing in wrestling. Bray. It doesn't happen often. Ray, yeah, yeah, definitely. Although, um, it's, to that point, I don't think that was really his decision <laughs> to change as much as he did. I, I, I want to say it is, because, again, The Fiend and the whole psychotic Mr. Rogers thing is very much his creation. Yeah, but I'm saying it wouldn't have happened if he was successful as oh, I mean, white family. Okay, you're, you're talking about, like, uh, Jericho and Taker, they changed themselves because they just could. Not because they yeah, had like, to. Yeah, they were successful. They didn't have to change anything, but they did anyway. Okay, all right. Yeah. Jericho's the best at that, for sure. No, Taker's the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll get into Jericho later more. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we're on our number three now. Yes, sir. My number three is Daniel Bryan. Oh, I was hoping this one was going to be the same. Okay, I'm hoping this one's your number. My next one's your number two, but go ahead. Uh, my number two is 
definitely not going to be your number two. I'm telling you right uh, now. Upset. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Daniel Bryan I have higher on my list because of a lot New of... New po- Dave Rocks, though. <laughs> a lot of the points we made <laughs> earlier for the fact that he was transcending the yes chant. Well, not only by him, but people were doing the yes chant outside of the WWE. He he was getting reactions as big, if not bigger, than when Stone Cold Steve Austin would come through. That's actually a bit of a stretch. Austin got massive reactions back in the day. No, I, you know what? I, I, I think you were right the first time. Because, again, the yes, move, the yes movement was outside WWE. It was bleeding into the things that people usually scoff at wrestling. Like, regular, quote-unquote, jock sports fans mm-hmm. don't respect wrestling, really. And they were doing yes chants all over the place. So Yeah, I mean, people who didn't know what the yes chant was, they were doing it. Yeah. And Brian is definitely not a guy who wanted to be a wrestler and be famous. He wanted to be a wrestler because he wanted to be a wrestler. He He's even said himself, like, if... I think he said if he wasn't um, wrestling, he'd probably be a school teacher. And if he said, what the hell is going on in your house right now? Uh, I think my chair just squeaked. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely your chair. Sound like something broke. Oh. <laughs> and, and anyway, um, Brian was a guy. I think he said like in an interview where like you know if he wasn't wrestling, he'd probably be a school teacher. And that if he, uh, you know, was in the newspaper or something, that he got to that he was a wrestler in a local show and he won a championship. He's like to, he's like to him. He's like I made it at that point because I said I was going to do something and I did it. But just this year, even when. Him like being gone for two years, like that—that that is a huge deal. That he was gone for two years, he had to retire pretty much because of a technicality. He um, what he's doing is giving people hope. Yeah, I mean, Edge didn't have hope to come back, and now there's rumors of him coming back. Even though <laughs> he's trying to do the same thing. Edge, though he's pretty twice, he said. Nope, I'm not, and no, I'm not. Period. Uh, That's not. Twitter. You never know. How many I times know, Mr. but say that and then it doesn't do it. But the thing is, Brian had his his reasoning for retiring were concussions. Edge's reason, Hage's reasoning for retiring is because of the spinal stenosis in the neck, and that's. Uh, yeah, true. I think it's much more serious, and I'd as much as I'd love to see Edge return, I'd rather have the guy just be happy. Oh yeah, and just healthy. be healthy. Yeah. Just, he's he's a dad now. He's got two kids, and he's a stay-at-home dad because of Beth Phoenix doing commentary every week on NXT. But getting back to Daniel Bryan, um, yeah. Bryan like Punk is a guy who I think has really helped made wrestling what it is today. Probably not on the same level as Punk, but definitely a similar level. Because guys who made me keep watching WWE, it was Punk and Brian, like in like that mid-2010 era, like 2013 to 2014. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Or, 20, or 2012 to like 2014. Like those two were keeping me watching wrestling. Like it was just those guys. And then eventually like other guys I just grown to like. It was Punk and Brian. And the amount of matches he has had just this decade. I mean, his match with Brock, his match with Kofi this year, 
the the match with Triple H at WrestleMania 30 into the main event at WrestleMania 33 against Batista and Randy Orton. His match against John Cena when he first won the title. His uh, matches against CM Punk uh, early on in Punk's... Uh, not early on, I think midway through his WWE Championship career. Uh, the stuff he did at... Um, yeah, I was just I just thought of a really good match and I was blanking on it. Yeah, it's uh, too many to really uh, list at that point. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship match he had at WrestleMania 31 with the IC title t- uh, ladder match. His stuff with the Miz. Yeah. So you have to really, just for me, he's been one of the best wrestlers in WWE period. And even though he was gone from the ring for two years, <laughs> it does not change the body of work that he has because. The work he's done recently since he's come back, even still, you forget about all of that. When, like, I forget, I honestly forget sometimes that he retired for a while. That's how good. Yeah. He, that's how good he is, and that's how good he's been since he's come back. And his heel run this past year was one of my favorites of the entire decade. A guy who were. I think I've said to Sean on the podcast that if you told me you were turning the Miz babyface and you were turning Daniel Bryan heel and they <laughs> no would way. and they would do a phenomenal job at both, I would have told you you're an idiot because yeah. Bryan and Miz are going to have the WWE Championship match at WrestleMania. And I was wrong. Like, at that damn chair, dude. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, Bryan played a heel fantastically. Miz did a really great job as a babyface, too. And they both played their roles great as kind of like the opposite in their nature of who to play. So, go ahead. I've been kind of talking a bit. No, that's, I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, it's, <laughs> he's really good. It's just, I'm really hoping we still get that Miz-Daniel Bryan conclusion that we all really want. Because I don't think we really got that. Because they kind of, you know, went their separate ways after they... Uh, both did the, uh, the double turn. Yeah. So hopefully we do get that eventually. I think there's time that we could possibly do it at Mania this year, or even SummerSlam next uh, next uh, this coming year. Because to well, me, I'm not crazy about the Miz as a babyface right now. I think Miz as a babyface right now has run his course. Yeah, he has to turn back. But anyway... I think I've said all I could. We both said all we could about Daniel Bryan because you you talked about him a while ago. Yeah. Who is who is your number three? I can't believe she is not on your list because she is the greatest women's wrestler of all time, and she proved that in less than a decade, which is why she is number three. Charlotte Flair. Oof. She could have easily, easily been just another Tamina. You know, not in ring wise, but character wise, is you know, oh, I'm the daughter of X. You know, she could have just been like, yeah, I'm Ric Flair's daughter, whatever. She, she surpassed Ric Flair, I think. Honestly, she's that good. She, she's a brawler. She can wrestle on the mat. She can do crazy. One of the best moon salts you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. You. It, it's. It's crazy how you can cement yourself as being so great as she is in honestly such a short amount of time we feel like she's been here forever but in the grand scheme of things she really hasn't and yeah people were like i'm a little tired of charlotte you know because she's getting all these opportunities and yeah sure but there's a 
a reason for that also. It's because she's so damn good. And no matter what she does, she excels over most, if not all, women in the roster. Specifically in-ring ability, but just on the mic, she's the total package. You know, they kind of say a lot about Randy Orton. If you would, if you could build a wrestler from the ground up, Charlotte Flair is pretty much that in, on the female side of things. She's just unbelievable. Charlotte was for sure originally I did want her to try and get into my list, but I feel like there were other people in this decade who have done so much that I feel like they had to get the recognition there. I figured you would have put Charlotte in your list, so that's kind of why I didn't put her in mine. Um, but yeah, you can't deny that that in just a short amount of time, she's built herself and made herself the best women's wrestler ever. And she's only been wrestling since, like, what, earlier this decade? I don't think you can really dispute that. I mean, I don't think anyone would really say, oh, Trish is better, oh, Lita's better, oh, so-and-so is better. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious now who, you know, is the queen. Oh, <laughs> pun intended, oh, the queen. <laughs> I mean, don't get, <laughs> Becky's the man, Charlotte's the queen. She's the queen, yes. And, and Becky, for sure, like, she is the most popular thing and the hottest thing in the company. Does not take away from her in-ring ability, but when you're talking about how they carry themselves and consistency um, and just how great she's been in the ring and her pedigree, so to speak, it she is the best women's wrestler ever. Maybe the worst spear ever, but the best women's wrestler ever. Maybe. I mean... Oh, she I, had a really good spear last uh, pay-per-view. What was it? Was it in TLC or was it the one before that? I remember she did a really good spear on somebody. Charlotte, I... Th- their spear has been amazing, but it's a good spear. Like, we, we can yeah. argue... I mean, Edge's spear wasn't always the best. No, it was iconic, though. No, that's true. I mean, honestly, yeah, I don't think... I don't think I don't think there's anybody who throw, who has a bad spear, in my opinion, honestly. I just... I love the move, so... If you can do... Uh, one, Big Show? Uh... <laughs> Big Show did the spear. You forget that, don't you? Yeah, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> 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 big bald blob of man, bald, blob of man, just like and pushing people, <laughs> just falling over and maybe hitting their midsection every once in a while. Oh but, uh, god, funny. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So big. Then we'll say Big Show has the worst spear. Everybody else, everybody else is great. Goldberg, Roman, Edge, Charlotte. You're all, you're all fantastic. Batista, you're all fantastic, pal. Yeah. Okay. Um, big Show getting the bin. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> anyway. Not lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so my number two, and I'm telling you right now, is for sure not your number two because you're going to be like, oh, yeah, for sure wasn't. My number two is Kazuchika Okada. Uh-huh. That, that's an... Oh, Okada. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Dude, <laughs> you didn't I never, know who I never he was. his first name. <laughs> I never hear his first name. I just hear Okada. Okay, it's Okada. <laughs> yes, my number two is okay. Okada because. Well, yeah, it's coming off my radar. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, to me, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, and you can argue him to be the best in the world today too. You can argue that because he has won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship five times, I believe. He's only thirty-two. And that's the same age that Ric Flair won his very first world championship. Wow. So, I know that. 
at such a young age, the New Japan bookers molded him and they saw something in him. The thing is, Okada, I actually think you would like Okada a lot because he's not a guy who is extremely flashy. He's not a guy who does all these big, high-flying moves all the time. And you probably, that's probably a stigma with Japan. Yeah, that kills me over there. So he's not a guy who does like, who goes on the top rope all the time. Like, I think he does occasionally, but he doesn't do it all the time. His body of work is in the ring, his storytelling, his selling as a babyface. Like, we talked about earlier about Kenny Omega and his series of matches with Okada, but the amount of matches that Okada Okada can have a great match with anybody. Like, we talked about AJ having a great match with anybody. Okada can do the same thing, and he's 10 years younger than AJ. Just... His matches with Omega are... What can we say that we haven't already said about them? He had a great match with Jay White earlier this year at Madison Square Garden in the G1 Supercard, where at one point, everybody was on their feet for that match, and we didn't stay... I was there with, with, with my buddy Reyes and, and Ashley. We did not sit down the entire time towards the like middle, towards the end of this match. That's how good it was. Okada has he's beat he's beaten everybody he's beaten Tanahashi he's beaten Jay White Kenny Omega he's beaten uh, Tetsuya Naito he's beaten Kota Ibushi he had a great match with Kenta in the G1 uh, uh, G1 he had a great he had a great match with Will Ospreay Okada I think in a few years time you can argue as him one being one of the greatest wrestlers ever there are a lot of comparisons to him and Ric Flair. And that's probably something to you, Joe, that's probably very shocking. Yeah. I mean, when I think of Japan, I think it'll kind of either the high-flying stuff or the strong-style stuff. But Ric Flair, that, that, I didn't think that would uh, really th- be the case. I think not necessarily in like the over-the-top craziness, but like how he carries himself as a star. How yeah, he, no, I, I understand. How he works in the ring. They both wear robes, and Okada has some pretty sick robes. Um, oh, well, there you go. Ric Flair right there. He wears a robe. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, Robert um, Roode, same thing. Just yeah. as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Robert Roode. <laughs> anyway, but Okada for the past, I want to say since maybe 2014, 2015, so f- four or five years or so, he's been the top guy, and he's treated been treated like a top guy. And again, he's not like a flashy guy. Like Kenny Omega can be flashy, and so can someone like Tetsuya Naito. But Okada doesn't have to be. What's so great about him is just how great he is as a babyface, and his selling. I think is a main thing that people really think of how great he is. So for me, yeah, I mean, I'll go ahead. Oh no, I mean, I was gonna say that I have nothing to say really because he's so far off my radar. But you know, if the way you're describing him, New Japan definitely needs a guy like that. You know, just as a different style, because I mean, New Japan to me is I'm gonna make a weird comparison, but it's kind of like a drummer who uses the cymbals too much. Like I like guys who can just play the drums and just use the regular meat and potato style, and you know, just kind of stay grounded. And I like that. And you know, not, that, not that, say, that Okada is kind of like that over there. It's not to say that 
everybody in New Japan is like a high flyer or flashy moves. Cause yeah, but that's have, kind of a stigma, you know? It is a stigma for like fans who mainly just kind of watch a WWE, WWE product and who may not be too familiar with stuff in Japan. But I... And I'm not going to say I'm some expert in New Japan because I watch it when I can and I've only been watching it since like 2016, if I'm completely honest. Like, well, 20, maybe late 2016, early 2017. Like, I I, watch, I saw some things here and there, like after AJ had left and some clips here and there, but I really didn't start really actually paying attention to it until uh, 2017 with the stuff with Omega and Okada. That's when I really started paying attention to it. And I'm not mm-hmm. afraid to admit that because that's when a lot of people started getting into New Japan was around that time. But, um, but yeah, Okada is my number two. Well, my number two, also Hall number two, uh, is Seth Rollins. Um, yeah, he's really high up there. I he's know. Really but high you know up what? there. You know what? I think he deserves it because he, between everything he did, not just by himself, but with the Shield, the fact that he can do both things so well, and he was clearly, at least in my opinion, the best thing in the Shield and to come out of the Shield. Uh, yeah, for sure. To to be as popular as he was on both sides, and he is such a great wrestler, and yeah, his out-of-ring personality kind of stinks, but yeah. it, I hate, I hate, you know, putting bringing that into wrestling because it's, it's almost not fair. I mean, yeah, you do still have to, you know, have well, some... Uh, the thing is now, not to cut you off or anything, but the thing is now he's a heel, so he can play that up. Sorry, I think you cut out. Sorry, what what I said was is he is a heel now, so you can play that up in his personality. Yeah, um, I hope I didn't cut you off because you're cut off again, but... <laughs> uh, well, I can hear you, so... Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to explain because I know he probably shouldn't be so high up, but he's been a guy that the WWE can lean on that wasn't ever a part of anything else. You know, he was, I think he was in Ring of Honor, but you know what I mean? Like, his main, he was a huge name in WWE, and he was the guy to rival guys like Kenny Omega. He was the guy to rival guys like AJ Styles before he came into the WWE. Mm-hmm. He, and to, for him to do that in a company that clearly is pretty much lost in, as to how to do things, I think that's a really big accomplishment for him to you know, be known as one of the greatest wrestlers in the world <laughs> in a company like that to and for him to start in that company, pretty much. I mean, he his body of work, mainly before the WWE, he was big as Tyler Black in Ring of Honor. But I will say, like, I was not familiar with who Tyler Black was in Ring of Honor before he came to the WWE. And when I kind of got back into wrestling, I was it was slow. Like like I mainly watched WWE and saw some things here and there. And Punk brought me back in. It really wasn't until like 2016 I started paying attention to like or 2015 2015 really I started paying attention to outside stuff with WWE. But um, but he's for sure made a, I think a better name for himself in and his body of work is much better in the, in the WWE than it is in Ring of Honor for sure. Yeah, he just deserves credit for overcoming the odds and being in such a really crappy situation that the WWE is. Very true. 
But I see a lot of comparisons between guys like him and Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're very similar, and you can say the same thing about AJ and Shawn Michaels, but pound for pound, um, I've always said that Rollins is a, can be a great guy to be the babyface of the company as long as they let him be him, but we've learned that whenever someone's at the top of the company, they always try to mold them into their vision and not let them be them in the past number of years. Like we saw it with Roman, we've seen it with Seth, and now Seth is a heel now, so... Maybe he can't be the top baby face in the company, but he for sure can be the top heel. And that's where he shines for me anyway, mostly, is, is him as a heel. And he's a generally young guy, so there's plenty plenty of story to write for him. Yeah, he's like only in his like early early thirties, I believe. Yep. Anyway. Now the big kahuna. Right, number yeah, one. We get to our <laughs> number ones. My number one is a guy who We've talked about a little bit here. I'll get heavily into him now. My number one is the current AEW champion, the youngest AEW champion, the longest reigning <laughs> AEW champion. <laughs> the skinniest Chris- AEW champion. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Jericho. <laughs> I completely took that because there was like a video package like on AEW once like, like where the inner circle were all going off and saying like... um. Like Sammy Guevara said, like like Chris Jarrett, like he's the youngest AEW champion in history. That's a huge accomplishment. I'm like, well. oh, was that the one where uh, they kept cutting to different people and Jake Hager keeps showing up and not saying anything? Yes, that's the that one. That was hysterical. <laughs> oh my god, that was, oh, so, that was so great. And Virgil was in that too. Then a random grandma shows up. That was actually Jericho's aunt. Oh really? <laughs> yes. And she goes to the thing like, well, I knew when little Christopher was a boy that he'd be the first AEW world champion. At the end of the thing, they cut to her and goes, at full gear, Christopher's going to kick Cody Rhodes' little shitty ass, whatever she says. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's, she's, or, no, she yeah. says, Christopher's going to kick the shit out of Cody Rhodes. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this 80-year-old woman just, oh my God, it was great. But anyway. Yes, Jericho for me is wrestler of the decade because of points we made earlier. He has constantly reinvented himself from the character he was at the start of this decade with the suit suit wearing, slow talking, maniacal, quiet Chris Jericho with his feud with Shawn Michaels, which at that point we thought was his greatest feud ever, and it's you can still argue that's his best feud ever. Him and Shawn Michaels earlier. This we thought it was gonna be one of his last feuds. Yeah. I mean, we didn't think he was going to stick around. No, we didn't. And Jericho just keeps upping the ante. Like he had a he, he was doing a great job uh with with his matches with AJ. And then when we thought the Shawn Michaels stuff couldn't have been topped, here comes the Kevin Owens Chris Jericho stuff. Uh, he was the, the greatest best friend in wrestling history. The, <laughs> The match that should have main evented WrestleMania 33 and would have main evented WrestleMania 33 when... And Jericho said this himself. He said that Vince came to him and said, I want this feud between you and Kevin Owens to build to WrestleMania and it'll be you and him in the main event and you will win the championship from him. I'm like, oh my God, then why didn't we get that? <laughs> but, but when they found out that Goldberg was going to stick around for a bit... 
Oh, I forgot. They decided to go with Brock and Goldberg for the Universal uh, Championship at Mania. So we can all blame Bill Goldberg for two things. Having a shitty match with The Undertaker and concussing himself, and not giving us the match between Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens because he decided to stick around. <laughs> but anyway... But Jericho wasn't mad about that in the interview. He said, he's like, you know, that's the business. You know, I'm used to things changing all the time. And Brock Lesnar versus Gold- Bill Goldberg in a, in, for a world title is a huge match. It's going to draw people. So he's like, so from a business standpoint, I understood. But that should have been the main event of WrestleMania. It was building to that point. Because it would have been, Jericho said, it would have been the first time in his career that he would have main event of WrestleMania and won the title as a babyface. He's never been world champion as a babyface. He's always been a heel as a champion. Huh. As a world that's yeah. interesting. And that's very interesting, considering the long career he's had. So, and you think that the at that point, okay, here comes Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens, like the Festival of Friendship, just one of the best heel turns and one of the saddest <laughs> moments in wrestling is just seeing this this great friendship end. And then we go on to him going to New Japan and calling out Kenny Omega and facing Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom, having another amazing match. And then he goes on and does more work with New Japan, works with Naito and does great work with Naito, wins the IWGP uh, Intercontinental Championship. He then goes on and announces that he's with AEW, fused with Kenny Omega again, fused with Cody Rhodes, and gets this faction of the inner circle. He just keeps changing everything. And going back to his WB stuff real quickly, he got the word it over. He got the list of Jericho over. Like, people pop huge when he would just go, you just made the list! Like, and he realized he was going over as a babyface thing. Because I remember I went to a house show in Brooklyn with Ashley, and he was facing Seth Rollins in a street match. And he almost put Brooklyn on the list. Like, you really think I was going to put Brooklyn on the list? I'm not going to put Brooklyn. He realized, and that's another great thing about him. He realizes when something's getting hot and over for him, and he's trying to get it over as, like, a negative thing, he pulls it back a little bit so the fans don't like it. And that's, he's brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant. And you can argue, and I think I've said it before, you can argue that Jericho's the best ever with the longevity of his career. Because he has been in almost every single major era of wrestling to now. To the Attitude Era, he was in WCW, the Ruthless Aggression Era, going back to uh, in the mid-2000s, and then being here now, and to, to his late WWE stuff, his New Japan stuff, his uh, AEW stuff now. You, you can't deny that he is the best ever. And well, you could probably deny that he's the best ever, but you can't deny he's one of the best ever. I mean, again, you can make an argument. Like, right. you, you can make an argument that he's the best ever. You could. You can also say guys like, like Austin's the best ever, or Taker, or right. or uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. Any one of those guys, like you know, I'm not gonna, you know, you can make a strong point because any one of those guys, and Jericho is in that list for sure. So for me, he's just done the best work of his entire career in this decade alone. So that's why I think he's the wrestler of the decade. And he deserves a lot of credit because he's kind of a switchblade or a switch, uh, Swiss Army knife. Because he can not only do it all, but he can be huge. And I mean, like not big, like liked, huge in any country with any group of wrestling fans. Because there's Ring of Honor wrestling fans, and they like their own style. WWE fans like their own style. New Japan like their own style. And no matter where he goes, he is a gigantic figure and 
he, there's a little something for everybody. I mean, he's him, a, so yeah, he's a house, I, I can totally see that. He's a household name. I remember earlier in the summer when I when I was uh, at my job and I'm talking to some some people, just about telling them about AEW because the TV was starting in about a month, or or at the very least, uh, All Out was happening and. One of the guys, and I mentioned, like, yeah, this comp- they have Chris Jericho. And, like, one of the guys I was talking to, he's like, now, I, the guy goes, I know nothing about pro wrestling, but I know who Chris Jericho is. That's a big deal. I'm like, case in point. Well, I never would have thought you'd be talking to people about wrestling outside of, you know, wrestling uh, locations. That's pretty cool. You bring up wrestling to uh I mean, I kind of have, yeah. have to, like, you know take it easy with what I say with wrestling. <laughs> I kind of have to make sure that I say enough for them to understand, but not enough to them, for them to be like in their head, like, okay, shut up, move, move along. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, the main event. Oh, yay. Oh, yeah. I mean, cause let's, let, let's be honest. I mean, this entire show revolves around me, so it's only fitting that my number one goes on last. I say, because it's, <laughs> what? I was gonna say you're you're the Brock Lesnar of this podcast. You show up when you want to. That's right. <laughs> but honestly, my number one is we've talked about him before, and I'm not gonna talk about all the great matches and all the great stuff that he's done because he is not only the greatest wrestler of the decade, not not only one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in the short time that he's been around, at least in WWE, at least, but the impact that he's had on wrestling is almost second to none. I mean, you can argue guys like Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold had bigger impacts. I think this is the biggest impact any one wrestler has had ever, and that's CM Punk. Because, let's be honest here, there is a lot of wrestling fans that are watching today that would not watch be watching right now if it wasn't for CM Punk. You said you started watching New Japan at about, what, 2015, 2016, something like that? Um, 2015, 2016 is kind of when I started watching New Japan, yeah. Okay, if you didn't get back into wrestling, because Sam Punk was the guy who got brought you back in. Yeah. If you didn't one. get back into wrestling, would you be at all interested in New Japan or anything like that? Maybe. I, I can't say. I mean, Like, it'd be hard, because here's the thing, right? CM Punk and Daniel Bryan were two huge reasons for you watching wrestling again. Mm-hmm. If there was no CM Punk, there's no Daniel Bryan the way you the way you know him today. Like he'd probably still be here, and maybe he'd be something successful. But I don't think he'd really get the opportunities he got without CM Punk. And it's just a huge snowball. WWE, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Impact, AEW, all that stuff was directly impacted by CM Punk's existence between Straight Edge Society and the whole pipe bomb thing, he made wrestling big again. And not only WWE, wrestling in its entirety. And that is huge for one person to do. It is. And it's amazing how he brought so many people back to just watch wrestling and to get back into it. Because maybe he may have brought someone back in, and maybe they're jaded with the whole WWE product, but they watch New Japan, or they watch maybe just strictly NXT, or they watch Impact, or they watch AEW. But I truly think that he is 
again, he is the reason that brought me back. And maybe, I don't think I may, maybe wouldn't ever watch wrestling again if it wasn't for him. I'm sure there would have been somebody who would have brought me back because I just stopped watching for a few years because I'm just like, you know, I'm just not really crazy about what's going on right now. And plus, you know, it's not really the cool thing to watch when you were in high school. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it, Punk for sure deserves to be give credit where credit is due. Again, I don't put him at number one for me only because of when he retired, but again, he did, you are correct in that he made such a huge impact in the entire wrestling landscape that it's kind of like brought what wrestling we have now. He brought light to a lot of things and to a lot of people that you may have never heard of before. And think about that. He wasn't around for all that long. No. Like for more than half the decade, he wasn't even wrestling. He was doing UFC. He was writing crappy Marvel comics. I mean, the guy was not doing anything involved would, in wrestling. And I yet, would say his Marvel comic career is better than his UFC career. Well, that doesn't say much. My <laughs> bowel movement I just took an hour ago was better than that. But, <laughs> but I mean, for someone to have such a and like you said earlier, if you just took out even his straight edge society stuff from 2011 when he did the pipe bomb to whenever he retired he would be still one of the greats of all time it's because a whole, it's it a whole was just career. It, it's unbelievable what he's done in such a short time there is not many if any people who have done it before and to me that's why he has to be the greatest of the decade because he's one of the greatest of all time period and you know what I think there are fair points for both of us because Again, because of how good he was at the time for when he was wrestling. And again, we mentioned earlier how he's such a polarizing figure that there is there is nobody in the entire wrestling world where they ask about, they clamor for a person to come back so badly like CM Punk. The, I've said the desire for Punk to come back is bigger than someone of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that is such a huge statement to make. And someone who may have stopped watching wrestling like after Austin retired may think like, what? That's what I'm like. But they just won't understand because they didn't watch Punk and they didn't watch what he was doing. So, I mean, again, it, your, your arguments are, are solid. <laughs> and it's nice because now we have hope again. Hopefully, cross your fingers, hope to God, eat your vitamins, drink your milk, and go to school, whatever. Hopefully, he comes back. Hopefully. And just does it all over again. Hopefully. I mean, as we're going through here, I mean, really quickly, is there anybody who that, you know, you could see from the this new coming decade in wrestling that could be, like, a huge star? Because there are a handful of guys who I know who could be absolutely enormous in their career. Well, booking aside, you know, because who knows how that could go, but the guys who should be huge Aleister Black uh, Drew McIntyre yes Velveteen yes, Dream yes uh, uh, the oh God he says his name in the damn entrance Adam Cole <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Undisputed Era as a whole should be just yeah, huge yeah that's fair um, Keith Lee probably because he's huge by the way how old is he because he looks like a thousand years old <laughs> Keith Lee, he's a weird-looking human being. I, I think he's got to be in his mid thirties. Uh, I I think. Really? I'm gonna that, look it up. Real that's quick. young. Keith Lee. <laughs> Keith Lee. He is. 
He's 35. Wow. He's 35. Um, I, I, just I think, think such a dad, whatever. Other guys, <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised you didn't mention him. MJF. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, MJF is like the best heel in wrestling right now. I mean, AEW so far off my radar right now. Is, that's probably why I didn't think of him, but yeah. I mean, I think he'll blow up, and all those guys you just mentioned, Dream, Black, Undisputed Era, they're all going to blow up, and they should all be huge parts. I think Shayna Baszler, uh, if she hasn't already, she's been a big part of this decade. I think she will be. I think her work will still be really good in the early – because you, you realize she's 39, Shayna Baszler? Really? Yeah, she's 39. She's, she's going to be oh, wow. 40 next year. She got oh into she got, she got into pro wrestling late because she was an MMA fighter. Well, right, right. Um, Rhea Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley is going to be a huge, huge. I think I think Rhea Ripley is going to be a bigger star than Becky Lynch. Yeah, I can see why. I think she's. <laughs> she's I think she's something she, else. She is. She's something different and unique. You know, I I, I think that uh, the street the street profits can be huge. Montez Ford in particular. Can be oh yeah, he's huge, unbelievable. A huge star in the future. Angelo Hawkins, I mean, he's he's the luckiest man in the world. He is to be he, riding his coattails. I know. Um, <laughs> Bianca Belair as well. Io Shirai, Candice LeRae. Uh, I think Britt Baker can be a huge, Porsche, uh, big part in AEW too. The women's division is is shaky right now with them, but I think she can be a huge star. Uh, Tessa Blanchard. Who she's been doing an amazing job this 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 uh, these past couple years, and she's been doing it on the Indies and Impact and AAA. I about to say, is she the one from Impact? Yeah, because I actually she, know her. She's going to be facing Sammy Callahan for the World Championship at their next pay per view. Hmm. The World Ch- like the Men's World Championship, and I think they're going to put the title on her. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, Sammy Callahan is not a woman. Sammy Callahan's a guy. <laughs> But the point is, I think we've had an amazing decade of pro wrestling. We've had an amazing decade of just peep matches and moments and wrestlers, all these things. And we're definitely going to get some other episodes in, uh, like matches of the year, matches of the decade, wrestlers of the year, with some uh, hopefully some other guests. Joe, I hope you can join me for maybe one more. I'm glad you were able to join me for this one tonight. Yeah, we'll see. Although, I am curious, though. What is your biggest wish for the next decade in wrestling in general? My biggest wish for the next decade is just for... Man. Just just for fans to enjoy wrestling and just for the stigma of the WWE being horrible to go away. <laughs> because I don't wish horrible things upon people. But in one of the things that CM Punk said, maybe this company's better off once Vince McMahon is dead. And that's a horrible thing to say. It's a horrible thing. I don't wish Vince to die anytime soon. I don't wish that upon anybody. I don't. But it's clear that with him micromanaging everything in his older age, the guy is going to be 80 in a few years. If he's not 80 already, that it's hurt the product. So, because I don't ever think he will fully retire from that position. I think he's going to keep working till the day he dies. Yeah, and the whole, you know, Vince McMahon dying thing, I think it was just a weird way of saying he just needs to go away a little bit. And yeah. It, that's true. It's very true. He just needs to go to the sidelines, and even if you let Triple H take over or whatever, I don't care. Just let these guys be themselves. And that's kind of one of my wishes for next decade. And for AEW, I wish that they... 
eventually un- see on WWE and see the things that they do right, and hopefully implement it in them in their product, like good characters, the um, the pure production value, and the way that WWE makes everything just look really big and grand. I hope they do that because I think AEW to me is kind of just where you go to watch good wrestling. But I think their production yeah. value for AEW is actually very good. I've actually said how I actually liked AEW's production value a lot more in the beginning than I did NXT's production value. I still think when you watch a lot of their stuff, it almost feels like you're watching like a lot of stuff on a, like in a movie or something. That's how good the production is. But I think overall, I just want wrestling to succeed. I just want it to be strong. I want it. To, I want. Uh, I just want the overall product to be better for Raw and SmackDown, and I just want the stigma of that wrestling is horrible and it's not been good in a long time to go away because there is wrestling and there have been wrestling and wrestlers that have been amazing, but don't get the proper respect that they deserve because of that stigma. Yeah, there's definitely work to be done, but as far as in-ring ability, there's no it's the best other it's ever decade. Been. It's it's not even a question. It's amazing how what everybody on the roster can do. Before it was only you know a couple guys. Now it's everybody can put and, on a great and match it's not at any even, given time. And it's not even just WWE. It's wrestlers right. all over the place. Like New Japan's roster is amazing. AEW's roster is amazing. Impact has a great roster too. Like, all across the board, you can find a solid, great roster out of anybody in any company. And that's what's so great about wrestling today, is that there are so many places for guys and girls to go and work, and work really well. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Let's get, make it, let's get it done. Well, if we could do that, that's probably going to take a long time. <laughs> well, first we've got to get everybody to start taking showers and, uh, you know, <laughs> not going to the shows, just freaking... <laughs> That's step one. Oh, that's step one. That's a big step. I mean, they they, <laughs> they they spent. I mean, Joe, they spent all their money on a replica IWGP Heavyweight Title. So they're 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 done buying deodorant for like the next ten months. Or on CM Punk shirts from Hot Topic. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> I shower every morning. Uh, I get, on, I'll give you that. And I put on deodorant. That's right. Have I bought a lot of CM Punk shirts? Yes, but I shower. There you go. You know what? <laughs> you can't get me with that, that stigma. You can't end a decade happier than that. You know that that's that's the best you can get right there. If you shower, you're good. If you don't, there you you go. get away from me. Take showers, people. It's, it's simple. <laughs> it's called a speed stick. It's not special. <laughs> Anyway, let's end it there. Anyway, thank you, Joe, for coming on. For my buddy, Joe Stanziali and CJ Palmasano. Oh, real quickly, just uh, listen to us wherever you find us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Anchor.fm. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. The Not Another Wrestling Podcast. For my buddy, Joe Stanziali, and for CJ Palmasano, we will see you next time.